0: On the Empire podcast this week, Everest's Jason Clark pops by to sell us some double glazing and Bill's Lawrence Rickard and Simon Farnaby shake their spears at us. All that unusual movie news and nonsense on the only podcast that loves to sing the national anthem. Can't wait to hear what Sam Smith does with it Inspector, Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire podcast. This week I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. It's a sausage fest in here this week because Helen O'Hara's away on holiday. First up is a man who's excited about Jeremy Corbyn becoming Labour leader. Obviously we're We're not biased here in any way. We're not partisan, but he's excited about Jeremy Corbyn becoming Labour leader because of Corbyn's pledge. Is this true? To make all movie directors be Ken Loach by the year 2020. Is this this true, Phil DeSim,
1: That's what I'm hearing, Chris. Yeah? He's actually my MP, so I'm getting early word on this one. He's your MP. All filmmakers must be Ken Loach by 2020. It's an aggressive timeline. Michael Bay's people have been informed. Transformers <laughs> 6 will be directed by Ken Lynch. That's amazing. Be about a man transforming himself from a state of joblessness to full employment. <laughs> I cannot wait. Yeah, it's going to be. It, it sounds amazing.
0: Uh, next up is our banana guru. Um, hmm. <laughs> sorry, if you have, you have one defining characteristic, then I will ram it home endlessly in the podcast. <laughs> Let's be a lesson to you. Uh, he's a man who's equally excited about Jeremy Corbyn. Because he hopes a corpum will turn Britain into a giant banana republic. It's Dan Jolin. Hello.
2: I do eat other fruit, you know, Chris. I have
0: never seen you eat any. I of eat
2: fruit. apples. I've never seen you eat apples an and apple. strawberry. All kinds of fruit. I can I, list. Do you, do you want me to list the fruits? No. I can literally don't list don't every list fruit trees. that I eat. No. Okay. Fine.
0: Don't. Do not list the fruits, Dan.
2: Kumquats.
1: Do you eat kumquats? <laughs> you don't. I just
0: love the word. It says a lot about you, doesn't it? Uh, I personally uh, would be delighted. If Britain returned to the China the Banana Republic, because I love that store. I once got a leather jacket there on discount
2: and still wear it. Chris, mm-hmm. you're an idiot.
0: Thank you, Dan. Let's get on with this week's question. And this is one that's been sent in via Twitter by at AtTheGustBuster. Thank you, AtTheGustBuster, who says, After Spies Like Us last week, because uh, we were talking about Spies Like Us on the podcast last week, obviously... I remember that (laughs) because all the podcasts are burned into my brain. I don't remember it. Uh, But we did talk about it a little bit. Oh, yeah, we did talk about it. Paul McCartney and stuff. The question is, movie tie-in songs slash music videos. What happened to
2: them and which are the best? Hmm. Hmm. In terms of what happened to them i've yeah. got i've got a kind of a kind of a theory we actually did a feature on this in the magazine years ago years okay. ago we called them the pop buster we actually did it like why aren't these things why around not, why, why anymore not, why not rockbuster um uh why not rockbuster yeah. well because they were you know do you remember that there's that summer where i think was it everything i do i do for you was just like like at number one but that's rock the, in, but, but it's pop because it's at number one in the pop anyway well,
1: uh, semantics
2: <laughs> pop and rock they usually get lumped together don't they when you join the Britannia Music Club and they send you a, a little a cassette tape mm. every month.
0: My rule of thumb is, if a man has a guitar, it's rock. I'm well, there's no need at. to be picky. So, so
2: anyways, no, no, the pop busters. Anyway, okay. so, so I think it all came to a head with Disney's release of The Three Musketeers starring Kiefer Sutherland, Charlie Sheen, Oliver Platt and Chris O'Donnell. Unforgettable. Exactly. And they were thinking that this was going to be a huge, huge film. I mean, you know, that's fair enough with mm-hmm. that cast. They did a song for it, which was called All For Love sung by get this rod stewart Uh sting yes and brian adams it doesn't get any better than that together at last and the video for it was just the absolute you know you mind-numbingly most obvious predictable thing you could do which was scenes from the film cutting to shots of those guys those three guys in a studio together rather like us today clutching at their cans Whilst soulfully singing these beautiful lyrics mm. about how they were all for love or something, all for one and all for love, and I just think I just think that was it. I mean, after that, there was you just couldn't go anywhere else. I mean, you certainly couldn't get any worse.
0: Well, that's true to an extent, but then there were things, there were songs after that. I remember, for example, Evanescence with "Bring Me Back to Life." That was on Daredevil, and you could argue that was that, that probably had the, the greatest cultural impact, if anything, from that film. That was huge, that winter, when Daredevil came out. But
2: this isn't on the scale of Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You. No, it.
0: but they they were, that, that's very rare. I mean, they were number one, that was at number one for for weeks. And Brian Adams, does he still hold a record? He does. For being a number one for ages and ages and ages.
2: Or was it Wet, Wet, Wet for Love is All Around, which was obviously connected to Four Weddings and a Funeral? Didn't he break that record? Ah, maybe.
1: He broke that record, because Four okay. Weddings was before... The, the gist of this piece by Dorian Linsky, which you can actually, we put it on the website as part of our movie Soundtrack Month a year or two ago, really interesting piece, is that those pop busters were part of the, mag- the movie's marketing drive, mm. and the producer would be like, you know, we, we need a track that's going to have that classic video where the band are on some form of random facsimile of a set from the movie, in the case of Berlin, Take My Breath Away, some kind of fighter plane junkyard in the desert, standing randomly on a wing singing the song and we're going to put that out and this was the era of MTV VH1 all of that stuff so it was the best way of getting free advertising song in the charts Brian Adams everything I do I do for you destroyed an entire summer for me like mm. you couldn't leave the house <laughs> and you had to throw the radio out the window it was just everywhere and it was the most painful it wasn't an ear, it was an earworm in the sense that the worms in tremors for instance yeah it yeah. buried around an ear it was yeah it was a graboid it was very by the end of the summer it was getting to the point of psychological breakdown for a lot of people i think I'm um, not exaggerating. But didn't it, didn't but, it, didn't we all but, go the
0: other way because you started the Stockholm syndrome kicks in after a while, don't it? Adams' around around week
1: 11 I, you know, everyone started loving it again, isn't It's not I it, don't you know. know. That was also the summer of EMF. Unbelievable. So Unbelievable. you just hope that we one of those tracks or the other. That was your option. <laughs> so if do you want to be prisoner of EMF or Brian Adams? Brian Adams I think would be would run a tighter household. He would but the point of it was that every, every time you turn the TV on, there would be the video. There would be footage of Kevin Costner in action. And nowadays you don't really, you've got YouTube. So I mm-hmm. guess the, the kind of the funneling of media through MTV and stuff, that channel disappeared as a way of advertising movies. But yeah. you've still got some great stuff. I'm a big fan of the Hot Busters. Okay. For instance, people know that I'm quite a street person. They won't be surprised to hear that I'm a big fan of Dr. Dre's Keep the Heads Ringing from Friday. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and another, another one that I love, Public Enemy just generally, but Public Enemies, He Got Game, Mm. Um, where, again, you've got the guys from the film, and this was the sort of hip-hop formula for the video, you've got the guys watching footage from the film and just being quite rapper-like in their normal way, but with early footage, so they'd be watching it on screens. Right, right, right. Um, I think that also applied to Will Smith's Men in Black. Yeah. Are they signing relevant embargoes? Is the film, is this colour graded? Is the film finished? Yeah. Is that footage what you're going to see in the cinemas? Yeah. Are they going to tell their friends? This is before social media, so not such a big issue. But again, problems <laughs> for me. So I don't know. That could be a reason why it, it died out. Just Yeah, but it, it does still happen. I yeah. Mean,
0: you go back to the Intro to List Friday podcast and I reference Sam Smith's Spectre song. And, you know, and Bond songs, you may be, you can divorce them from your Rockbusters. Uh, you know, But you know, it's still very much something that, that comes around every every few years where the, the song is almost used as a tool to sell Bond as much as anything else.
1: Uh, yeah, I agree. But I think that the, the visuals and the, the audio of those two mm. things have now detached themselves yeah. much more. So you'll hear the Sam Smith song or you'll download it or you'll stream it or whatever. And you'll watch the trailer for Spectre but you're probably yeah. not going to get the two together
2: i have very fond memories just because part of the question was which are the best i have very fond memories of billy oceans when the going gets oh tough Oh God, so which good. was can you actually remember the film though what was the film come jewel on jewel of the nile yeah 1985
0: mm. five.
2: yes Mm. I'm actually genuinely impressed I'm good on movie dates That's good Okay, so yeah I remember this this, I'm not going from notes here This is pure memory They got in a little bit of trouble though With the video for that Because it had a bit where Danny DeVito came out Playing the saxophone Mm-hmm. And and they they had Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner singing the backing vocals, but of course they weren't really. They were just pretending <sighs> to be forming with Billy Ocean, and I I think there were some legal issues over that because the people who were the real musicians really? were a bit like mm. I vaguely remember this, but um you know maybe I'm not going on the record with it though. <laughs> Good, see that you don't. Yeah, yeah,
0: those things always. I, I love that video and I love that song when I was obviously only about two or three years old. <laughs> I wasn't. I, wasn't anyway, God, I was so old. But yeah, I love that video. It's like the uh, Jeffy Chase turning up in the video for You Can Call Me Al. Oh, yes, I love that. As well. Yeah, Love that's song. but that's, that's what we're missing
1: these days we're missing big name stars getting involved that's in a, videos for their own movies that's a fabulous point chris Thank i you, was Phil. gonna suggest i mean, I have to do this because my brother will be listening at some point presumably and he'll be cross if i don't but mm-hmm. the hanks ackroyd dragnet city yep. of crime yeah those extra that's bonus material for me that's the that's the cast and i'd like to see this with any number of films yeah like timothy spall as mr turner doing a you know, a Turner rap Paint or something. It. Painted it black. Painted black would be good. Yeah, anything, any kind of extra. So,
0: in case people don't know where City of Crime is, it's a rap song at the end of Dragnet that is performed, you know, this is astonishing, it's performed by Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks. And that is quite rare. And what you used to get back in the 80s as well was, you know, the stars of the movies would be roped in and they would maybe do a turn up in the music video, like, you know, Kathleen Turner and Mike Douglas and like mm. the Ghostbusters turn up in Ray Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters video. But to actually perform <laughs> on the song, <laughs> it's, it's an delicious. extraordinary piece of oh, songwriting. And it's, it, it, I love it because it's, it's my Tom Hanks era. I love Tom Hanks in that era. And I'd love to see him do for Bridge of Spies. Uh, you know, with Mark Rylance, <laughs> Tom Hanks, f- brackets, well. feat Mark
2: Rylance, that would be amazing. Obviously, T-Power would be doing the music for that, right? <laughs> Wait, well, why? Because the first... <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> T'Pau's first album was uh-huh. called Bridge of Spies. Oh, oh, there we go.
1: You've lost there 97%. I laughed
2: audience. before I even got the joke. <laughs> that's very funny. That's, kind how, of that's you. how
1: funny it was. Credible. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> you just understood it on an instinctual, <laughs> instinctual level. I
0: got it. Well, actually, no, I, I got it. But I just wanted you to explain it for the listeners. Okay. But the Ghostbusters thing is very interesting because I recently read there's a cracking book coming out next week. I think it's out on September twenty fifth. I think it's the illustrated history of Ghostbusters. The illustrated, so it's loads of stuff about Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters two, even the uh, the animated series, all that sort of stuff. There's a really good chapter on the Ray Parker Jr. song, which was very last minute, and he didn't really have a brief and they had tried other bands and other artists had, but at back at that time you were talking about song is a marketing tool and so Ivan Reitman and Columbia back then were going "Ooh, we need a song for this and so whenever Ghostbusters 2 rolled around they were oh well, who's doing the song and naturally it was Bobby Brown I mean you wouldn't think of anyone else <laughs> no. So too, um, too hot
2: to handle too cold to hold <laughs>
0: But that may be the thing people remember most from yeah. Ghostbusters too. Yeah, and, and Nick, if, if Nick's going to barrel in here any second now and, and quote the film for baiting, but yeah.
1: Worth interesting, going back to the Bond thing just before we move on, there was an interesting piece, not to plug our own trumpet, um, <laughs> blow our own saxophone, DeVito style, but there's an interesting piece on the site about the Bond themes that weren't. And specifically, I think it's Tomorrow Never Dies, where they commissioned out Pulp and St Etienne, and some of the most unlikely bands. And I guess it all comes through the record label, and the record label are like, hey, St Etienne, have a go at recording this? And they assume that they were the only ones being asked to do it, so they record this and think we've got the Bond theme. And Pulp, likewise, we've got some of these songs. and You do listen and think, you know, bless them, I think they're great, St Etienne, but it's not a great Bond theme. But that's what they were doing. They would would basically commission it out to a whole bunch of people and come back and see what they got, and... I think this has been fairly standard practice for Bond for a while. I mean that that features
0: eye opening. There's a Johnny Cash Thunderball song, which he submitted for a consideration and it wasn't used and just like a deep, deep, deep cut for Johnny Cash fans, but it's it's really, really cool. And I wonder if that is something that actually happened this time around with Spectre. Because all the Ellie Goulding rumors when she was tweeting living Let Die and whatnot and there were you know that that guy who tried to put fifteen grand on Radiohead must have had something to go on. I wonder if there were competing tracks. I don't, know. Here's, I don't know. Here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting
1: about this, and I'm not sure how much I'm supposed to say. But I, I think the music industry has known this has been like not much of a secret that Sam Smith was going to do this song for a while now. You can't keep stuff a secret, but now you can leap off and 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 sort of almost steal the publicity from things like this. Maybe that's what Ellie Goulding was doing. Who knows? I'm popping out of Abbey Road. I don't know. It's a bit flirty. No. I don't think she would have recorded an actual Bond theme. Yeah. I don't know.
0: You never know. Didn't, It'd be nice to didn't know. Did
1: Muse do something that was very Bondy and you know? it was almost as if that was
0: their audition? So maybe that's what happens. Bands record things and they submit them for consideration to the producers and
1: then sometimes they get taken up, sometimes they don't. Is it not true that you did have a sneak preview of the Radiohead Bond theme? Beep, beep, boop, boop, boop. No, I'm not doing that again.
0: <laughs> I'm not going to drive anyone mad this time. All right, just to get off the beaten track for a second. I thought it is kind of connected. But in terms of songwriters submitting songs to producers for consideration, which then end up in the film. So there was a guy a few years ago called Kevin Rennick who wrote a song called Up in the Air on spec because he knew that Jason Reitman was making Up in the Air. And he handed him a cassette at a, at a Q&A he was doing and said, would you consider this to use in the film? And it's in the film. And one last thing. If you watch Vegas Vacation... I don't normally recommend that you do But if you do watch Vegas Vacation uh, there There's a song right at the end That was submitted for consideration As the theme song for the movie And then they cut it to the last minute And they bunked it on the credits There you go So there you go Let's go around the table Very very quickly What's the best music movie tie in song Slash video Dan
2: Bad dance
0: Bad dance Okay
1: We Don't Need Another Hero By Tina Turner
0: Amazing if you want to have a question read out on the Empire Podcast, and frankly why wouldn't you, uh, here's how you do it. You send them in via Twitter at Empire Magazine or use the hashtag uh, Empire Podcast or we won't see it. Uh, you can email us, podcast at empireonline.com and you can Facebook us as well, which is so lovely. We're not on Snapchat yet. Time now for our first guests, Uh, Lawrence Rickard and Simon Farnaby are two members of the curiously nameless troupe of actors behind Horrible Histories, the brilliant CBBC sketch show and Yonderland, the brilliant Sky One fantasy sitcom. If you haven't seen Yonderland in particular, do yourself a favour. It's fantastic. When I say curiously nameless, I mean the troupe as a collective doesn't have a name like the Pythons or the kids in the hall. So they
2: need a name. The people have the names, The people within though. the collective have names,
0: so that's all good.
2: good. I like the idea that they're curiously nameless, though. I, I would I have uppercase C, uppercase the cur- N, and that's, that's the name of their troop, Curiously Nameless. The Curiously Namelesses. Yeah. That would be interesting. Uh,
0: we were discussing it last night with uh, a couple of the members of the trip. Just Add Idiots was uh, one that, that, that came up as a potential name, which I quite like. It also neatly describes his podcast, I think. Uh, anyway, uh, now they're heading to the Big Scream of Bill, which is a very fun and bold retelling of the origin of William Shakespeare, uh, which Ricard also co-wrote. Uh, he and Simon Farnaby dropped by the pod booth this week to talk to me about time travel, nicknames, and very occasionally the thing they were actually there to promote. Enjoy. Uh, we're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Lawrence Rickert and Simon Farnaby. Hello, Hello. sir. How are you? Hello. Are you really good, yeah. Good, good, good. Thanks for coming in. Pleasure. Bill is out this week. That's right. The culmination of a long journey. I was chatting to, I'm going to call you
3: Lasbodron. Oh, please during do. During interview, that's right with No, no problem it's, at all.
0: I think your Twitter handle, we're we're, we're we're fancying now to a stage where society is going to use our Twitter yeah. handles as our real names. Absolutely.
3: Well, so, and a number of fans on Twitter we now only know by their Twitter handles <laughs> and then refer to them as such. Mm. So, yeah, I think that's where society's going.
0: Are they embarrassing Twitter handles or are they? No, no, okay? thankfully
3: not. There's a couple out there which are embarrassing, but we're yet to meet them.
0: So. Okay, but well, it's good because you got last patron. You've actually got your your real name, Simon, as your Simon Farnaby. Oh, no. I
3: I I've always wanted you to go for Simon Farnaby actor. I love it when people do that. <laughs> Did that you?
4: Uh... Good actually, but there isn't any other
3: Simon Farnabys. No, thank God. The really, there really Simon isn't. Farnaby <laughs> butcher. Yeah, <Could laughs> be one
0: somewhere. You should have been. Yeah, you should have chosen that one. Or Simon Far- Farnaby butcher. Throw Farnaby butcher. Yeah. yeah. Simon Farnaby <laughs> butcher, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: You the butcher?
3: No, no, that's and, uh, just my Twitter name. It's just to fool
4: people into thinking I'm a butcher.
0: <laughs> did you think about when you were choosing your Twitter name, the real Simon Farnaby? Or Lee oh, I love those as Lee well. Simon yeah. Farnaby.
3: Wasn't Matt the real Matt Bainton for a while because there were so many fake Matt Baintons on Twitter? Yeah. I think he did it just
4: on purpose. just to-
0: He's not here, so let's say that. <laughs> <laughs> So you were you were Lasbatron on Twitter. I am indeed. Which uh, you were telling me upstairs is a nickname that was bestowed upon you many years
3: ago. Yeah, a lovely writer called Phil Kerr, who I worked on the Charlotte Church show with. Oh, I think it was almost the moment we were introduced. And I sort of went, this is Phil. And I went, hello. And he went, this is Larry. And he went, okay, so Las Patron, what are we doing today? And just an immediate nickname. I uh, quite liked it. I like it. Okay. I'll stick with it then. I might just get rid of my name, change it by deed Pole.
5: Is,
0: is that your de facto nickname? What do you, what do you call Larry Lawrence Lasbatron? Las Laz. I get Laz. Laz.
3: Or Lazar a lot in, Laza. within okay. the game
0: that's interesting. Hmm. what well, about Simon what's Simon's nickname
3: fun <laughs> fun fun Farno fun. no normally you get fun. farno Farno yeah.
0: that's an English cricket team uh, nickname that's, yeah. that's yeah, just taking yeah, someone's yeah. name and adding O or yeah. y onto the end but yeah he's already, he's already got the y so you might as well go down exactly the end. it's, oh, it's
3: a name that doesn't lend itself very well to to nickname so it's his fault. I'm going to call him Simon Farnaby Actor, or Simon Farnaby Butch, or just Butch.
4: Hey, Butch. Butch. How did you get the nickname Butch?
3: Well, Well, it's an interesting story.
4: (laughs) Let me show you something. We did a podcast where all we talked about was
0: was nicknames. We should should talk about Bill. It's been a a long journey. It's been five Mm -hmm. years since uh, you and Ben Will Bond. Willie? Bondy? Oh,
3: uh, well, he doesn't. Well, I don't know. He Bond-y. gets called Willy Bond a lot, <laughs> which he's not happy about. But we just normally stick with Ben. 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 Yeah. yeah. Straight it's, down the line.
0: He's imposing and. and yeah,
3: God, he's <laughs> terrifying.
4: We've just never crossed <laughs> big him. Big Ben. Mm, big Ben.
3: Bondy, I like to call him. Okay. <laughs> to Bond. his face or when he's out of the room? When he's... We're back on the same track again.
4: I don't usually say his name to his face. <laughs> no. I just go, oi. <laughs> Man. <laughs> Hey mate, man.
0: What do you think of this? Uh, I promise you, we will talk about the film. <laughs> okay. But I have to. Uh, now we're on this track. I have to. I have to figure it out. So, do you have nicknames for everyone else in the group? So, was um, Jim's nickname?
3: Jim tends to be Jim O. But that's from Martha. Jim O. What are we having for lunch? Yeah, Jimmy. Jiminy. That's my brilliant impression of Martha. That's good, good. Martha is just Martha. I don't think we've ever settled on no. anything better. Really? Yeah. really? I know, it's terrible, isn't it? It's disappointing. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could start to, you know, give her a nickname according to her terrible habits. I mean, where yeah, would she stop? MHD. You've never called her that. I've just done now. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs>
3: and is, um, that, is that everyone? One, two, three, four. The yeah. What okay.
0: about the real Matt Bainton?
3: Uh, the real Matt Bainton, again, he's got a name that's short enough to, that, that yeah, ruins yeah. our fun. Matt. Okay. Oh, that's disappointing. He hasn't even got two T's. It, it's, <laughs> he's a lazy name. Yeah. His parents, when they were writing the birth certificate, just went, oh, I'm exhausted. MAth yeah. <laughs> w.
0: that'll do alright so let's talk about the film okay. um, so five years ago you and Ben sort of mm. uh, sit down and write this uh, was it a, a sort of conscious decision within the group the six of you that, that the two of you were going to write this script or, uh, or how did that come about in,
3: in a way it came about I think the group we'd all talked about at some point doing a film I and mean, I we're all sort of film fans and particularly uh, me and Ben Ben had always been a massive fan of film from being uh, a young kid and I'd studied at film at university and I'd lectured in film for a little bit and so uh, something we'd always wanted to do, but it came about. Ben had worked with Rich Bracewell, a director, on uh, a short and uh, an early one of his early features. So they'd known each other for years, and he got in contact with Ben and sort of said, "What about the idea of doing a feature film?" And Ben then got me on board because I, uh, of the six of us, I was the sort of the one who, in, in the horrible histories, Yonderland gang, uh, in the horrible histories gang rather, who was the writer. That's how I got into the the troupe. And we met up with Rich and started talking and throwing ideas around. And really quickly, the idea of Shakespeare came up because he's a character you kind of don't need to do a lot of first act stuff with. And we wanted to do a multi-character caper. And there's so much, so many threads to set up when you're doing that. We didn't also want to be having to tell the audience, here's this guy and this is what he does. And this is the sort of person he's going to go on to. But you know all that. There was sort of that reason, but also there's that little hole in his life where, you know, people know what he did in his early life. And obviously... They know what he went on to achieve, but no one knows how he went from Stratford to London and what he did in those early days as a sort of fledgling actor and writer. So we could kind of fill in that hole with something stupid. So what you guys
0: do, you, you, you travel back in time and you found out exactly what he did? Or Yeah, no, yeah.
3: We, we, we invented a time machine, which is, I mean, I think we could have done the film in about two years if we hadn't spent... <laughs> three years was just developing the technology, which I think is pretty good. But we went back and we, we spoke to him and we got, got him to sign off on the rights to his life. And he told us this incredible story about the time he got embroiled in the plot to kill the Queen. That's amazing. Why is he lying, though? Why would he lie
4: to us? Because you've come from a different time and he's maybe suspicious of you.
3: No, he was freaked out for a bit, admittedly, when we first turned up. We had to sedate him. The only way he could do it is to follow him around (laughs) for seven years. (laughs) Well, used to say we didn't because we had a time machine, so...
4: You could have done that.
3: That's why I look so old. (laughs) Did you not notice that about two years ago I suddenly aged seven years? I thought... When I went, oh, I popped oh. out to the loo and I came back and I had a completely different hair and a beard.
4: You wow. still age when if you go back in time. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, It's yeah, yeah, not yeah. like Interstellar. Where
3: no, I'll no, no. So we still age, but you thought I was gone for like a minute and a half wee time and I was gone for seven years. But so you, hang on,
4: you nipped to the toilet? Yeah. And you came back seven years older? Yeah. And you didn't notice, Simon? This is... I didn't notice.
3: No, so though. it's your problem, not mine. I
4: you know about this till now. Have you been dyeing your hair? Did
3: you dye your hair? Yeah, I've been dyeing my hair since I was 20. <laughs> <laughs> we have got to talk about the film. Sorry, yes, no. We're we so we, did, we, did, we didn't we didn't go back in time, but we we did an awful lot of research particularly in the early days of the, of the film and finding out about as much as you can about his early life and details yeah. are sketchy but then those sketchy details when it gets to the, the time where uh, around the time he moved to London they, they disappear entirely and they don't pick up again until he's starting to write plays in fact I think the first reference to his work is actually a critic saying it's not terribly good <laughs> some, I think he's sort of being compared to someone it's another play saying oh it's a bit Shakespearey," and not in a positive <laughs> way and that's how we know he started writing by that point some critics sneering at him yeah you know what they're like the mountain two stars. <laughs> two stars two stars <laughs> <laughs> tries hard but loses itself in the yeah. second yeah. act
0: but they put it on the poster and makes it look like four yeah.
3: very, very clever <laughs> very between very the clever. heads of Shakespeare and Marlowe <laughs> <laughs> very smart
0: and Simon what was your involvement at this stage whenever uh, whenever Las Patron lifted to the toilet and
4: um, came back with the I, script I heard that they were doing it they're writing this film mm-hmm. and I just went oh great good <laughs> that's good news call me when you're done they can, yeah they
3: get on with well, that well no quite early on were, we had I think the second draft we, yeah, we got we, everyone around the table
4: immediately they they, they oh, they'd, I think I got the sort of whispers going oh I've written a good part for you Croydon. Hmm. I was going oh right well, sounds good I read it and it, well, it was good I was like yeah. oh great it's almost like you've written it for me. I went, yeah, we,
3: we've told you that. Hmm. You need to listen more. <laughs> you need to, you need to listen to- and then we <laughs> had we had an, an argument, and then we didn't speak for like a year.
4: And then I had yeah Juan as well. Yeah, Ben. I used to do live stuff with Ben, and I used to do a. a funnily enough, a character was a horse, but he spoke in this kind of Spanish way, <laughs> and he talked about the jockey and how he hates him. He's a bastard. <laughs> he, he hits me all the time, and I don't like him. I think that might have
3: been Ben. Yeah, Simon can do it. It came up, it came up, but also I think the level of stupidity uh, and sort of off off the wallishness, if that's a word, which it's not, definitely came into came into uh, one's character.
4: So we sort of read it in above this pub in where was it It Deptford? Deptford. Funnily enough. And yeah, it was great, and that was quite an early draft, and then it changed, you know, a bit. Mm. And then we made the film, and now we're sat here. <laughs> <laughs> that's I mean, there's an abridged version of the story, but, uh, yeah, those, those are the... Uh, but, yeah, it was very, for us, it was great. It was just like, oh, good, you know. And we were, like, pretty confident they'd come up with something so good, and the story sounded good, so... So if someone 25 years from now were to make a
0: film about the making of Bill, yeah. what would be the key moment for them to, to pull out? <laughs>
3: Well, I mean, the, uh, yeah. Simon's a, one of, the, as you've seen, he's one of the world's great enthusiasts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's just, there's a, there's a there's a raw energy to it. And I remember after that, for to be fair, after that first reading in Deptford, him coming, uh, me going down to the to- toilet. I mean, that's all of my stories end up with me going to the toilet. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> I go to the toilet a lot. You go a lot. I go you a haven't lot. gone once. No, I know. Here, so, yeah. and that's been like 10 minutes now. Which is worrying me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I have gone. It's just, <laughs> I didn't go anywhere. And he came up to me on the stairs and sort of stopped me and he went, it's really good, lads. <laughs> And that from Simon is just you know I cried inside wow. with with joy. I must have been drunk or something. Yeah, you were really effusive. <laughs> That's amazing.
4: So hang on, the film in twenty five years of yeah. the making of twenty five <laughs> years time. What what would be what the midpoint or yeah? The, or what, the, what's the inciting the, incident? What's the, what's the incident?
0: yeah? What's the big what's the grabber?
4: It probably the inciting incident would probably be um,
3: finances going okay, and <laughs> <Yeah, yeah. laughs> yeah. oh, we went off. Oh, thank you.
4: No, that was good yes that was good it was like we have because it's such a long mm. a process in it film you go you get re- there's no there's no point where you can get to really excited like if someone just went you gonna make a film this, four million pounds mm. you would go yes but the way it goes is you might make a film we are just gonna wait a few weeks before yeah. we say if you got any money then mm. you go we might have a bit of money then it's you go, like you've got a tiny bit of money.
3: It's like, um, it's like being pushed away, you're in a boat and it pushes away from the shore and you turn around and you see that someone's packed some dynamite against the side of the boat <laughs> and is holding a plunger. And they go, are you going to press that? And they go, we might. Yeah, and are, you're, you're just gonna, always you waiting there? for the point.
4: Throughout the whole...
3: Yeah. Gonna... Yeah. 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 It's going to stay until, here holding this when. plunger. And then finally, in theory, you, av- you arrive at the shore on the other side of the lake. But right. uh, at any point, they can press the plunger and you just sink. And it was only... People kept saying, well, when did you know this was happening? And we said, it was, it was the first day on set when someone said action. We went, I think we're making
4: it. We're making it. You're letting it. us make it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what was the first day? Do you remember?
3: Yeah, it was, your, it was Croydon's house with uh, you throwing a chamber pot on my head.
4: <laughs> what was the first...
3: That was our first day on set. Was it? Mm. Wow. Was it? Yeah. The Chancellor's house, yeah. In York. The greatest day. Well, it was your favourite acting experience favorite. because...
4: It was the greatest day... My acting knife because uh, it was a scene in bed, uh-huh. <laughs> so I got to lie. Because obviously, when you're filming, even if it's if it's a stand-up scene, mm. you're standing up <laughs> in it. It can be quite a long day, even if it's a really short scene. Yeah, it's it's basically seven hours yeah. standing up. So if you have got a scene in bed, you literally, it's to heaven. Mm. You yeah. can bring you cups of tea, <laughs> you know, and you just lie there and you've mm. got. And I had a nice sort of covers and quilts. And I got to throw mm. um, bedpans at Larry's head.
3: So you got to lie in the comfort of your bed and abuse me, which yeah. is, I mean, that's your dream it's day, kind right? of just, it was <laughs> heaven.
4: And I had some funny bits of dialogue. Mm.
3: And just a great,
4: fantastic day. Yeah. About oh, acting. <laughs> From your point of view, Larry, what was it
3: like? That day was quite wonderful. We had I remember having slightly surreal conversations about how we were going to, the trajectory of the bedpan and where on my head it needs to hit and how hard it needs to look like and the tr- trouble with, we had sort of stunt bedpans that were soft but they didn't look realistic and then this conversations about what's the hardest thing we can throw at Larry's head without <laughs> potentially killing him? There was a lot of that kind of pragmatic stuff going on. But that day was actually, was quite fun. The worst one that actually was a standing up day when we did the court scene when the um, assassins come in we're in a lot of oh, yeah. really brilliant costumes but you know it's layer upon layer and lots of leather and i'm very for uh, my character i wanted a really really like lo- my assassin character wanted a really low hairline so i've got this very big thick wig and it was very very hot in there and i just got hotter and hotter and you try not to sort of be an at all actively about it and make a fuss and suddenly i just everything went a bit dark and i fainted and oh. i've never fainted before and yeah, immediately I'm came came around yeah, and there was a number of people sort of knelt around me being really concerned. Simon just standing over me with his sort of brow furrowed. And I looked up at him and he went, Oh, I thought he was doing a bit. <laughs> <laughs> like it was a, a, a weird, really weird improvisation. I was like, oh, I know what my <laughs> character would Do we fall over?
4: I knew that. I, went, I, went, I thought Larry's really going for it. He's doing something. Because <laughs> we usually try and do some, especially if it's a few takes in, you do something to... Make the others laugh, or keep you know, it make fresh, yourself yeah. laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, oh, Larry's gone. This is a this is a strange sort of choice. I'm gonna <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fall over. I mean, uh, <sighs> I was thinking, should I have thought of that? Mm. And then, uh, <laughs> good for you, Larry. I mean, it's not funny, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's dramatic. Oh, I think you had a certain panache. It was more sort of horrifying. And then realized he'd had a, a conniption. That's the first time I've heard, heard that word. It's
3: really good. I'm going it's to put it word. in a script. It's
0: yeah. a good word. Off yeah. the wallish and conniption are the two mm. words today, yeah. uh, which I like. Uh, but of course, he, as a co writer of the film, you wrote a scene where you get hit in the head repeatedly with uh, a bed, well, let's, let's be honest, piss. Yeah. I'm sure you didn't actually use real
3: urine. They, they assure me not, but I never. <laughs> I, I, I arrived quite late on set that day, so I don't know, so I'm going to be in bed, in, in bed a long take time.
4: I need toilet breaks, because that would have meant standing
3: up <laughs> okay. and walking. So we were, we were both, I was actually, without knowing it, going very method.
0: So what does it say about, the, about you as a person, that you would write this torture for yourself?
3: I've kind of got used to it when we were doing Horrible Histories. The rule became if you wrote something where something terrible happens to someone, someone gets covered in filth or dropped in a moat or something, then they go, oh, Larry, that's a really funny scene, you're playing him. And so I kind of got used to self-punishment. The worst one, in a kind of Freudian scale, was there's a point in the film where me as one character punches me as another character. And playing the character who gets punched. Right, yeah. I was saying to the double. I kept on going, No, harder. Hit me harder which I think is a really, you know, worrying psychological thing. Come on me, punish me harder.
0: Can't you cheat it?
3: Yeah, I mean it is it is sort of um, cheated, but I was just I think it was sort of putting the putting the effort into the the swing. Mm. But it's one of my, my favourite bits in the film. It's like a joke on a joke when you didn't do the reveal of going it's that it's that that guy but being punched by that guy. It's nice yeah, to get yeah. to be able to do those sort of jokes yeah. in, a, in a multi-character thing.
0: How difficult is it to figure out who's going to play whom exactly and in terms of the scheduling so you don't have scenes where Simon has dialogue mm. with Simon?
3: It's about 50-50. There were mm. some characters where we wrote the first line and went, well, that's got to be X, you know, Croydon. We wrote the first two lines of dialogue, and without discussing it, me and Ben started calling Croydon Simon, so we knew. And the same with Philip, King Philip. And then there's others which we decided later on because we kind of thought they would be a good fit. And then again, it all changes on set. Schedule dictates a lot, and it always has in all our work. That you go, well, yeah, that was going to be Jim, but Jim's in the scene before, and it's a two-hour change, so it will have to be Larry. And and. It's quite nice, it keeps it quite fresh. Was I always
4: going to be Sausage Guy?
3: You were always going to be Sausage Guy, I think that's right. Ben was going to play, there was a time where Ben was going to play both of the Russians as twins. And then it was yeah. going to be a really difficult scene to shoot. Yeah. And so you were drafted in your your Ben's understudy. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I feel a
4: bit sort of cheap now. Yeah, no,
3: You should. <laughs> you should.
4: You guys have played so
0: many characters now in Horrible Histories, Yonderland, and, and this movie. I think you, you play, Larry, about eight characters, and Simon, I think you play six mm. in Bill alone. Yeah. In terms of the voices, is there a way that you approach them to make sure that all that, oh, that voice sounds a bit similar to a character played in Horrible Histories years ago? Or or do you mi- do you mind, really, if that, if that happens, or if there's a slight mm. overlap? Or?
4: Generally, we have new voices, I think. You dip into um, the box of voices. And- I mean, yeah, like, <clears throat> as I say, like Juan, sometimes you delve into your past Mm. And, and go, have I used that thing that I did yeah, absolutely. 20 years ago? Has that been filmed? Mm. <laughs> and it's usually something I did a lot, like, like the horse, you know, that mm. became sort of Juan. And Ben Ben's um, Philip was based on a character he used yes, to do he was. on the fridge. He, he used to do a Cuban... Drug friend, baron. Yeah. Drug baron who came on with a gun. Yeah. Threatening everyone. <laughs> and that, uh, yes, that was King Philip. Huh. And I seem to remember, did a sketch show went really badly years ago called Blunder and I did a devil character in it who became Stupid Death oh okay (laughs) so in it because it didn't get used and I remember calling them and going just to check that devil it was like a thing where someone would be writing a play you know Hmm. and they'd go Oh, I'd sell my soul to the devil to finish this play, and it'd go it'd be a puff of smoke, and it'd go. <laughs> Sign here, and then, it, and, then it, and then it'd help him with this play, mm. and then it'd be really rubbish. You go, okay, so, um, <laughs> man walks into it a bit like Bill. Uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> I'm a man in a play, yeah. and then so I had this character. And Channel 4, in their wisdom, didn't show any of mm. these <laughs> genius sketches. So I was then able to use that voice in Stupid Death. Mm. So sometimes you, or, or you find thing, new voices that you like, like, what's Walsingham?
3: Walsingham's Piers a love. little bit of Pierce Brosnan. I, I, love yes, that. I, love, uh, I love
4: people who speak with all the breath. Yes. Breath in their voice. So you and, can find new mm. things that
3: you like well, and try to... It's, it's also, it's just people... There was a, I think there was a waiter at somewhere we were the other day and he came and he went, hello! And you're like, oh, well, that's going to be somebody at some point. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of that. Although, particularly on, on particular in Horrible History, because there were so many voices that you had to use across the series. On yeah. the last couple of days, the chest was empty and weird <laughs> things would come out, like you come out playing a Roman and you go, I'm doing him as John Wayne. Because I, I, everything else has gone, everything else has been new. Mm. <laughs> we're
0: in a loop. Uh, uh, we're in a little, Can you use a time machine to go back and?
3: Yeah, no problem. <laughs> what we do is I'm going to go back 20 <laughs> minutes, and we'll do a version of this podcast where we talk about the movie. It's, a, We've it's a about the no, movie. I know. I know. I've, had a, I've had a lovely time. I'm coming back tomorrow. <laughs> it's been
0: ever so nice. Mm. <laughs> I wanted to ask about how you guys feel, how far you could push it in mm. terms of Bill and Yonderland. I mean, for example, there's a there's a happy ending gag mm-hmm. in series two of Yonderland, which uh, I went. Wow, okay, mm. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. I mean, how far do you feel you can push it, given that we, you know, you're pr- primarily pitching to a family audience?
3: Yeah, I think we've always tried to be cheeky. Matt's always put it well, he sort of said, we're the naughtiest kid in class. I think we, we check each other quite a lot, and if something crosses the line, normally at some point when we're reading it around the table, someone will go, ooh, and then we have another look at it. The broad rule is we try and do where we are being a little bit on the line. It's what you bring to the gag. So like that happy finish moment, that is a completely innocuous phrase unless you're old enough to know what that phrase means. So adults laugh at it in one way, but we're not teaching, you know, if there's a young audience watching it, we're not teaching them anything which we shouldn't be. They either already know the knowledge which makes it funny or they don't, in which case it just passes in a second and they're none the wiser. And we try and sort of keep that rule, although there's a couple of times where we go a bit close to the
4: Mm. edge. I mean, the in your bum...
3: Yes, joke.
4: I mean, it's probably my favourite joke of yeah. the film. You really fought for
3: that. That was your number one rule, wasn't it? That to was the and everything. yeah. It really always, early on, I basically said you can cut anything you want from this film, but I've got a character on page seventy-seven says in your bum, and I, <laughs> I want I, 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 I want to play him and I want to say that line. To be fair, we never got pulled up on that. I think in the edit, at one point someone someone gave a note sort of saying is this okay or could we try it another way, and we everyone else in the process, came back and immediately went, no, and just shut it down. So we went, I think we're, we're safe. with. What's what's next? Uh, Simon, Mindhorn
0: is... Yes, close, we filmed it? it. Yeah. What is Mindhorn, for people who don't know?
4: Mindhorn is a film I wrote with Julian Barrett about a, a detective... Well, a, a, an actor who used to be in a detective show, like Bergerac, who um, a serial killer thinks he's a real detective, and so the actor has to don his sort of old uniform... And uh, go and try and track the killer down. It's a lot of fun.
0: So, Mindhorn is uh, in the editing uh, suite right now.
4: Yeah, it'll be, be out, together. Um, I think sometime, maybe so this time next year. Fantastic. I think
3: I'll I'll Fantastic. go and see it. Yeah, you'll go. Yeah, yeah. You got in, one here. and
0: you will go. You gotta, you got in fairness, I'll probably get him for free in a press screening. But yeah. you know, I'm going to go with theory. Chris then. Yeah, yeah. 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 Can me, right. you can be my plus one. Yeah.
3: Sure. <laughs> <Pretty fine. laughs> and
0: Larry Otronic 2000. I'm going to mm-hmm. try that as a nickname. No, so
3: yeah, like it. roll with it. It's oh, a bit I, weird. I, just, I don't like the 2000. Well, uh, you it, know, it, it dates me.
0: I don't know if it does date you really, does it? Because you've got a time. You've machine. You've
4: got a time machine. You?
3: Yeah. No. What I can yeah. go back to before you gave me that name
0: <laughs> and leave.
3: Tend you really cool. And lastly, oh, he's gone.
4: <laughs> Such a
0: shame, we never really got to know Larry O'Tronic 2000 mm. before he left but, uh, And what are, you, what are you guys working on now? You and, you and Ben are writing stuff?
3: Yes, we're writing a couple of screenplays I, I don't think, uh, neither of which I think we're allowed contractually to talk about Which is the most boring thing to do in a... I might as well have just said no, no we're not doing anything <laughs> we're, we're very, very busy on uh, things that I can't tell you a lot about Except they're both incredibly funny
0: Oh, excellent, excellent uh, and, uh, and what's you say to play with Yonderland?
3: We have, as we did with the second series, we sort of write scripts ahead of any sort of decision on a green light and whether or not we're going to shoot it, and if so, when. So we're just in that process. We're um, looking at scripts now, and hopefully we will have
0: more news soon. Fantastic. Guys, thanks for coming in. Laza, Butch. <laughs> it's been a pleasure, guys. Thank you. No worries. Cheers. Thanks. They're lovely guys. Uh, Sam Farnby, of course, is one of our men of the year last year for his scene-stealing turn as Barry, the lewd security guard in Paddington. Good stuff. Right, shall we have some moving news? Let's do that. What's the rumpus?
2: There's some very upsetting news. What's happening? Rupert Wyatt, the director of most recently *The Gambler*, but of course of *Rise of the Planet of the Apes*, has quit, has left *Gambit*. No. Yeah, and I was I was very much looking forward to seeing what he would do playing in the uh, superhero sandbox because I think he's a very talented director. But it's a shame because he was originally doing *Dawn of the Planet of the Apes*, another 20th Century Fox film, and left that quite quite far on into the into the process. So, you know, they're not far out from shooting *Gambit*. Um, yeah. And he's gone. The official reason given, and I don't have the exact quote in front of me, was that schedule changes made it difficult for him because he's got another project he's developing, which is his own thing, as I understand it, from what he's told me in the past. And uh, it impacted upon his other plans. He couldn't give that the time. It I have the statement. Chris, could you please read it in the voice of Rupert Wyatt?
6: I was very much looking forward to working with my friend Channing and the team at Fox. But regrettably, a push in the start date now conflicts with another project. I thank them for the opportunity, and I know that Gambit will make a terrific film. Here, here, hooray!
2: I may have added that last bit. Yes, and that's we, exactly how he sounds. That's isn't it? not at all how he sounds. How does he sound, Dan? He he sounds like a normal person.
6: That was a normal person, Dan. That, that, that was a Dalek trying to assimilate into anyway,
2: society. Look, I'm quite upset by this news. I do. I don't like the levity with which you're uh, you're treating this. Who knows who's going to step in and do it? But uh, it is a shame. I think he's a really talented guy, and I kind of you know I do get worried the fact yeah. that he keeps leaving these big projects. The Escapist you know, in
0: particular is fantastic.
2: The Escapist is brilliant. It's his debut film, made for hardly any money. Brian Cox is the lead lead actor in it and, and it's it's an absolutely brilliant film One of the best debuts I've seen in, in all my years As a film journalist
1: Why would you leave Gambit for an other project?
2: Because it's his own thing It's Because it's something he's been working on for a while That he, he, he wants to make work And I think Gambit isn't his own thing, is
1: it? No, but I'm assuming that he, you know It's useful to have a big, successful Superhero movie under his belt at this point Yeah. Within the studio system yeah. To enable him more flexibility to do his own things In the future I'm just curious, is there more to it? I don't know. Channing Tatum, I mean, there was that rumour about Channing Tatum. Was he on, was he off? Hmm. That could have just been Hubble Bubble from the internet, who knows? But this, this one seems to be sort of dragging...
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is just speculation. You know, this this we're all we're, so we're we're theorising. You know, these are not easy films to make. You know, there's there's always a lot of cooks in the kitchen. So there's going to be a lot of voices, a lot of money goes into them. They need to, you know, hit at a certain level commercially in order to succeed. So, of course, there's going to be concerns, over a lot of concerns over creative decisions. And this is why so often, you you know, creative differences, creative differences, you know. And it, and it does, you know, it's, it's happened with Marvel movies yep. where directors have been on and gone on. Obviously, it's happening with the DC movies as well. Wonder Woman, for example, yep. and you know it's it's so it's it's happening here with these X X movies. The, the, the superhero movies are now such a big deal. Mm. I do sometimes think that, and again, speculating, but. In this instance, that you get filmmakers who have strong creative visions and have their own feelings about how things should be done and what there should be in there. But then you're going to have all these other voices say, well, look, there's so much riding on this. We don't want to take any risks here or with this, that or the Mm. other. And I think it could be a very difficult creative environment for some filmmakers.
0: I wonder if we can now discuss or speculate on the number of directors who make this type of film, okay, in Mm. the world, who absolutely have final cut and will neither tolerate Norbrook studio interference how many do you think do you think there's 10 do you think there's 10
2: in the world no, okay. I don't think there are any the thing is this is one of those things I think if you're going to say one name yeah you'd say Nolan right well, I was going to say Spielberg but yeah. but he hasn't uh, oh, oh, I thought you were talking about superhero films in particular no no no, 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 sorry, no sorry. not necessarily superhero so, yeah, films. I think Spielberg yes yeah
5: so I think, absolutely.
2: I think Nolan, uh, it's a funny one. I don't, uh, I, I. he he's always talks about how his relationship with the studio is always really positive and it's never difficult. And I think maybe they just have so much trust in him anyway that he finds it easy to, 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 to get his own way. But I don't think, you know, it never strikes me that he has battles. So maybe he wins them before they're even fought. He's that <laughs>
0: smart. <laughs> All right, so Spielberg, Nolan,
1: Cameron. Fincher. It seems hypothetical with Fincher because yeah. you can't see him making one of these films now. No, really, no. But I don't know. He's struggling, Mickey struggling in TV a bit. I don't know if that's studio note based. I don't know. After his Alien three experience, would he go near this? I don't know. But not many. I'm not saying i I'm, 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 I'm not
0: suggesting David Fincher takes over Gambit. I'm no, 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 no.
1: I know, I know, I know. I'm just, one, I'm just trying to imagine him in this situation. Although if he's free and he fancies it. Yeah, do it know, seriously. I'm sure they're knocking on his door.
0: Um. Malik hmm. Malik yeah Turns Malik's gambit that'd be amazing comes out 2018 no 2019 no 2020 no wait just one more reshoot guys
2: yeah and Channing Tatum's not in it anymore <laughs> I mean he shot it he just didn't make the final cut
0: he's now 73 years old Yeah. can no longer play the role I think there's a few more Bryan Singer and whatnot I think people who don't necessarily have the studio interfering not that this is the reason we don't know this at all Uh, this is the reason why Rupert Wyatt walked off Gambit but when something happens so
1: late in the day you do begin to wonder do you want to hear some Liam Neeson news oh
0: I'd love to hear some Liam
1: Neeson news let's do this I don't really have any Oh But I'm going to try and fish some out of the ether Okay Oh here we go Liam Neeson has joined a film called The Revenger About a man who avenges things But it's a comedy thriller Oh Yeah And I think one of the the things I've really loved about Liam Neeson recently (laughs) Apart from his rebirth as the go-to middle-aged avenging guy Is his comedy turns Mm -hmm. Especially in Entourage and Ted 2 Which he's absolutely
0: hilarious That scene in Life Too Short where he goes in and auditions and improvs
1: Yes With uh, Ricky Gervais is hilarious Yes Role plays Crazy characters Crazy. <laughs> Amazing So he is joining this film that's being directed by um, Zombieland's Ruben Fleischer mm-hmm. Dan Would you say he's taken the piss? No oh, okay serious? He's serious He's an earnest with this one, I can tell It's scripted by the guys behind The Night at the Museum By the name Thomas Lennon and Robert Ben Garant okay. uh, We don't know an awful lot about what exactly is involved in this one It's just Liam Neeson news So it had to be shared But there's some news about The Mist as well <laughs> Why are you looking at me like scary scary Stephen King eyes? The Mist is coming to TV. Ooh. Uh, this is a... Um, it's unmistable. It's going to be unmistable. Tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> you want more? <laughs> I do want more. You're like uh, the Egg of the Christie of news. This is going to be a Weinstein TV series. Stephen King novella, of course, was made into a rather terrific and fairly bleak Frank Darabont movie in 2007. <laughs> and uh, this one is going to be... Again, Stephen King is often a bit querulous with some of the adaptations of his work, but he's got he's on board with this one, which I guess augurs well. And they've got a writer called Christian Torp, who's a new name to me. He's something of a big deal in Danish TV, and he's going to be coming in and making this into an episodic treatment, a, a same set in the same small town in which this seemingly innocuous Says the story Mist. Is Mist ever seemingly innocuous? I don't know. It envelops the town and it spills out of its belly all of these crazy, gnarly beasts, which do great mischief to townsfolk just going about their business. Right, yeah. You make it sound quite sort of, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Twilight. I'm doing my Twilight Zone story voice. Yeah. So that's what's happening here. But I really like the movie. Bloody hell is it depressing. But nonetheless, it is, yeah. it's got many interesting things and, and it's quite an interesting kind of take on society breaking down, the fabric of society breaking down. In a way, I guess The Walking Dead is. I guess they've looked well, at The Walking Dead and thought, hey, here we go, yeah, there's an opportunity. T- to focus
0: in on The Mist a little bit more, The Mist takes place in one location, which we haven't mentioned. And it takes place in a... Uh, so the, the survivors hole up. They're caught in a, in a supermarket as this mist rolls in and only when they leave the supermarket they realize that oh my god they're basically h.p lovecraft's mate have turned up and are running around killing everything and it's the end of the world and what are we going to do Could we, do we leave do we stay here and then meanwhile one of the number is a shall we say a religious zealot, and thinks it's the end of the world and starts turning people against each other and blah 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 it's really really great but that that is the kernel of the piece and i don't know how that lends itself to an episodic telling Presumably they're going to open it out the way, and I think this is maybe the impact of Under the Dome, which is a based on another King. But that was a nine hundred page novel, and the the Miss is a hundred and twenty page novella. And I don't know necessarily let this lens itself. I'm not necessarily on board with this this piece of
1: information. Brikey O'Reilly, well, I'll make it my business. Yeah. Rather, as I did with famously with the Steve Jobs movie, to yes. really excite you. Please about this do.
0: Project. No, no, g- turn me around on it.
1: I'm going to, because I th- I think maybe I- not today.
0: I'm a King fan. I love the the, the the story. I love the the novella. It is probably my favourite King novella uh, slash short story. A really long short story. And I love the Frank Darbon film. Um, yeah. Turn me around in the future. Come on. It's Christmas Eve at Empire Every Day. Every day is Christmas Eve. We're excited about all projects. I'll keep an eye on this one. We should press on because there's a few more things to mention, isn't there? Let's, yes. Let's
1: talk about our new guest editor
0: our new guest editor uh, our new issue is out next week it's on sale on Thursday and all good and evil news agents will be giving it the big old plug next week prepare to fast forward during that bit uh, or, or listen to it it's entirely up to you um, but yes our new guest editor we've, we've had a couple of guest editors in the history of Empire we had mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg who guest-edited our 20th anniversary issue back in 2009. And then we had Peter Jackson, who came in for... The Battle of the Five Armies. The last one, The Battle of the Five Armies. Peter Jackson guest-edited that issue. And now, with Spectre coming out, we've given the guest-editing reins to the Farrelly brothers, which is a bit of a shock. I didn't expect that, but it's a bit of left field. No, of course, it's Sam Mendes. Oh, Chris. I know. <laughs> See that? Yeah. That Phew. was comedy. Yeah, get to the um, point. Yeah, Sam Mendes, guest editing, Empire Magazine. Yeah. Uh, And our second, and I believe our last, Spectre issue. This is it? We're not there anymore? Yes,
2: because the film will be out and then there'll be no point doing Spectre issue after Spectre's out, unless it's the 10th anniversary or something.
0: Little lesson there. Little insight. Mag Publishing. We don't want to take you
2: too far behind the curtain, people, but we do tend to only cover films, new films, before they come out.
0: Are you stuck on the film thing? Because I'd like to pitch something about Liverpool.
2: So Sam Mendes was really involved in putting the magazine together. It was a really fun and interesting process. It was. Him. He absolutely... We went and met him and we talked through everything. He read every page. He made comments. He made changes. Changes, can you believe that? A guest editor? Who does he think he is? But I'm no, it was right. really cool and I think as a result we can safely say that we. I think we have the best Spectre coverage conceivable. In fact you could even say Dan, it's spectacular. <coughs> what do you think of that Rupert Wyatt?
6: I think it's the greatest issue of Empire I've ever had the courtesy to read.
2: That's just disrespectful to both Rupert Wyatt and Sam Mendes.
6: When can I guest edit? Um, but it's not
2: all Bond 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 in there. We also because it's actually the 16th anniversary of American Beauty, which is his first ever film that he won an Oscar for. So we got everyone back together to talk about American Beauty achieving its age of consent.
0: We'll do that next week. We'll we'll go go through all next week. But there's more. There's more. There's more. There's tons tons of stuff in there and there's non-bond stuff as well. Lots of non-bond stuff 4 non-bonds. Okay, enough of that movie news. Tom Fullery, it's time to have a second guest. Uh, The Australian actor Jason Clark's had a belting few years, graduating from movies like Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, where his character didn't even have a name. He was New York Fed Chief if you can believe that Very good New York Fed Chief nevertheless Uh, To the likes of Lawless, Zero Dark Thirty and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes Where he had character names He's been graduating up the Hollywood ladder This week he's part of the huge and impressive ensemble cast in Balthasar Comica's Everest About a true life tragedy on the face of the world's tallest mountain He came into London recently
5: and spoke to Nick about a great many things Enjoy so, we are, are very, very happy to be joined by Jason Clark today. Not at the summit of a mountain, sadly, because we weren't allowed to, but on the sixth floor of a very nice yeah, hotel well,
7: hypoxic nevertheless
5: <laughs> how are you doing sir <laughs> i'm good nick how are you doing man not too bad so you actually you, you went up two mountains for this movie
7: i went up a lot of mountains i went up to ben nevis in that christmas there was a massive big storm i think i'm hoping i'm correct that it was like the biggest storm in 15 20 years at christmas marty henderson and i had a great guide whose name i forget and he took us up you know, in Scotland, but never. It, it was you know we wanted just to get into the elements, to feel what it's like to be in a storm, to be exposed. I wanted to feel what it's like to stand, be the last person on the mountain. So you know, we, we were rappelling down the face, you know, in the ice and the you know eight nine o'clock at night in a storm, and you know the the other guys went down first. and I'm up there alone with the rope and, and nobody behind you. You know, it's just you at the top of this world. We just hung out in the storm, rappelled down a couple of faces, you know, in the dark in the ice, trying to. Just trying to deal with it. Keep us, keep our shit together.
5: And we're we're now, well, we're now pretty much in the British winter, which yep. starts at the end of August. Yeah. So, do you have any kind of techniques that you've you've picked up on on Everest to keep yourself warm?
7: Toe warmers. Those little toe warmer and heat bags are great. <laughs> I mean, just, I mean, eating is a good one. You know, just 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 keeping the blood going. Once you feel your core start to drop down, then you're in trouble. You're in a lot of trouble. So just keep moving. You know, the Sherpas had some great little just hitting the hands together with the gloves. It's your extremities that go first. That's what I would do. And then get inside. Have a good down jacket. No sort
5: of dance routines or star jumps <laughs> or anything like that that going you guys can. You
7: come- can. I mean, look, sit-ups in your tent in the middle of the night are great. You know, just, you know, if you wake up and you're a little bit but thin- just, just do a couple of crunches. You know, your stomach's a big one. You know, putting in some food or some sugar or whatever, it just helps generate action inside, you know, close to your core, which will get the blood going, which will start to warm you up a little bit. How does this
5: rank among the movies that you've done in terms of endurance? This one looked horrific
7: watching it. It was the sum of everything. You know, whether it was in the Himalayas, whether it was in the Alps, whether it was in Rome, you know, whether it was in, in, in the studio in Pinewood. I mean, studio in the Pinewood was, was very difficult as well because it's a different kind of angle on your back with the pack, with the, you know, yeah. cause you, you're not, you're, your crampons aren't sinking into the snow anymore, they're sinking into wood. So, you know, the chiropractors have to come into flight. It was just, you know, and then you've got to get up each day and do it. It was the overall maintenance. And we were going up to altitude at 16,000, 16,200 feet. We were shooting in minus 30 degrees in the Alps. We were shooting in Rome with his great pasta and wine. It was a lot of things to get in the way of us being able to do this film.
5: Yeah. You, you told me on set that you came up with a nickname for John Hawks.
7: John Seven Courses Hawks. <laughs> John Seven Courses
5: Hawks. Now, did he, get, did he come up with one for
7: you? <laughs> well, there, <were laughs> there was a funny one because I started... In terms of taking, you know, having fun with the New Zealand accent and with Marty Henderson, Guy Cotter, who helped me climb on this film, who was Rob's climbing buddy, sent this YouTube video of a New Zealand ad, which is a joke ad. And it was about, you know, he's doing some work on his dick. The New Zealand accent, yeah. Look, I've got a very big dick here. <laughs> and we're going to get out here and we're going to come and have a look at my dick. My neighbor's very jealous of his dick because his wife always wants to be on my dick and so i think you know in new zealand it's you know instead of tim it's tum but that's 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 an exaggeration that's an extraordinary exaggeration because my film was not like that but so everyone was calling me bug duck bug duck bug duck okay oh it's big duck he's got a very big (laughs) duck because that that, that video was so funny go and go and google
5: it it's hilarious have you just seen uh, the movie fairly recently everest The i saw it for the first time in
7: venice a couple of nights ago yeah what was your impression of it well it's intense watching it at the you know the opening of the Venice film festival but I was stunned I really was stunned I think Bolt did an extraordinary job of putting people on that mountain so you feel it and then also distilling the story it's if you know the story and you and you know the whole all the books and all the writings and all the controversy it's a very complicated uh you know book film novel whatever you want to call it uh, with times and dates and places and who was where and how and oxygen levels and this and that and ultimately even in terms of the commercialization of Everest, you know, it's it's nothing compared to what we've got now, that he's kept what what makes this story special. That phone call between Rob and his wife of a man who, you know, doesn't make it home, and then a man that does make it home, that we reach so high, climb so far, but, you know, it, it matters little if you can't get home.
5: Yeah, was there one scene in particular that, that hit you hard when you were watching the finished thing? Oh. It's like, I guess it's a very different experience.
7: Yeah, it's on the totally The experience you have as an actor is totally because you have, you have such physical memory of the things that you shot and the places you were and the times that you had and the jokes that you shared. Like I it really is quite extraordinary. It's, it's, sometimes I find it hard to watch a movie because my memory is very different. That scene with Kira, you know, I was upstairs in a bedroom in the house when she was shooting her side of it. And because, you know, I was... I remember the story in 96 when it broke and just imagining that, that image of this man... 28 and a half thousand feet saying goodbye to his wife in New Zealand and she's pregnant and then you know seeing Kira on the bed curled up when the phone was put down in the quiet that was really upsetting and I knew that Sarah was there and is the daughter and Jam was there in the audience as well and my wife was just behind me and we've just had a child it's you know it's very moving
5: something else I need to ask you about you were in the bill which is yeah, uh, I did. <laughs> I did an episode of the Bill where they came to they came to the Bill down under. That's amazing. No, I know. So for the for sort of completeness of the Bill, do you remember who you played?
7: It's funny as an actor, you kind of so many things just disappear and they have to disappear out of your memory. I think otherwise you'll never keep going. It just becomes part of I don't know, part of the ladder. Yeah. Yeah, Well,
5: Terminator presumably is one that you you do remember.
7: Dude, I think that just crossed 500 million worldwide today.
5: I know. Well, that's what I want to
7: ask you. It's been huge in China. No, I know. I'm sure sure you know more than me. No, um, I just got that email today. It was like a link from Deadline. You know, Terminator crosses X, you know, it's like, wow, gotta love these Chinese, man.
5: Do you have a theory why it's become so huge in China? No, I don't. You didn't see that one coming?
7: No, I didn't see that one coming at all. Look, I, I think we made a better film than what the American box office gave us credit for. There's still a lot of mileage in this story, whether we could have made a better story, perhaps. It's still a fascinating subject about when intelligence, artificial intelligence, will will supersede us.
5: There was a, there was a lot of talk when the movie came out of it being a trilogy, of it being the yes. first one in a series yeah. of
7: three. Would you return? Yeah, I would return. Like I said, I think you know, can hear the interest. I still think in, in the subject. I think audiences expect more now on, on so many different levels and that... You can afford to be brave. I'm, I'm waiting to see what they're going to do.
5: How did you, how did you feel about the big reveal in the trailer? Because it was all about your character.
7: Yeah, I was shocked. I thought they weren't going to do it. And then they did do it. And I got emails coming in as soon as it happened. I was <laughs> like, oh, OK, yeah, fair enough. All right. You know, because I remember people saying, you know, from the first trailer, because I've got to keep it quiet, that, you know, some friends say, oh, you're not really in this film much, Jace. <laughs> <laughs> So I just have to bite my tongue and then people go, oh, so you are in it. You're the bad guy. And it's just like, well, I love complexity. I, there's, there's room for a lot of complexity with John.
5: I talked to a, another John Connor, Edward Furlong, two oh, years ago. I have a quote from him. Yeah. And I know you're a married man, so this doesn't apply so much. Yeah. But he said, being John Connor gets you crap loads of pussy. Now, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just curious, <laughs> without that, are there other perks? You know, Have you seen that being John Connor, suddenly people are treating you differently or...?
7: No, I mean, I have <laughs> also I shot a film with Mark Forster in Thailand. And so I, I didn't have time to see the film when we were, I flew into Berlin and I flew into LA really quickly, in and out. So I never saw the film. I then went into the multiplex. One day, I thought I'd go in at 10 a.m. in the morning. Went in late, just as I about to start. You know, with my mother and dad, they were there. When I came out, there was like a thousand people out there. And the head of Universal Asia and Paramount Asia, they were both there. The Universal guy had just seen Everest... And it was crazy. You know, it really was. not the guy that stood next to me the whole cinema who just kept elbowing me and making noise and didn't know well, he didn't care or no. Or, you know, he comes out and he just couldn't believe it. He's freaking out in the corner that he was the guy sitting next. You know, so it's one of those funny things. You know, I don't, you know, you go to the urinal and there you are and some dude looks down at you and just goes, what the? <laughs> you know, you literally you can see him. But thank God I don't have suede shoes on. I'd be pissing all over my shoes now. Coming back from the plane in Thailand. Yeah, I'd wake up and there'd be people standing up above my bed in the plane just... Oh, sorry, Mr. Clark. Do you mind if we just have a, you know, you know, it's kind of, you know, have funny things at funny moments. And then just when you think somebody, you know, does recognize you is going to help you, they've got no idea who you are, you know, and so there's, there's no end to the humiliation you will suffer.
5: So if you go into a Chinese restaurant at the moment, you're going to get mobbed.
7: That's... I guess so, man. I guess so. I mean, which would be great. I'd love to go and get a lot of love in China. I travel, I backpacked in that country many, many years ago, 2000. And I had a fascinating time there. It's a complex, extraordinary place. I'd love to go back. And I'd love to go back as John Connor. <laughs> Just go
5: around giving everyone that Terminator <laughs> stare. They'll, they'll go running. It's a great name, isn't it, John Connor? John Connor's a great name.
7: Yeah, it really is. It's
5: Sean Connery's character name in the film Rising Sun. There's a bit of pointless trivia for you.
7: It's a pity I'll never get to work with Sean Connery.
5: You never know. You never know. No, you don't think <laughs> I don't think
7: he's, he's going to come out of retirement. He's had enough of this business.
5: Yeah probably uh, i just wanted to take you back quickly you were raised in the outback town of winton in queensland yes and you once said if you really want to see some strange shit go to Winton. <laughs> can you can you please elaborate on that
7: <laughs> what, what strange shit because it's a long trip <laughs> it's a long trip and it's worth it you're out in a place which is you know which is isolated which you know it's its own country out there the, the people that that are happy to be out there on their own, doing their own thing. You know, it's it's it's. I mean, England appreciates eccentrics, and it's, I love England for that. You know, so does Winton. It's an eccentric place. And eccentricity is something which is so quickly forgotten these days, or or is faked these days, rather than being truly, you know, truly original.
5: Is there one person that you're thinking of, one local that you kind of miss? I think a lot Winton?
7: of my a lot of my relatives are out there. I mean, a lot of my my aunts and uncles, and you know, and. And my grandfather, who's who's no longer with us, I mean, he was a he was a proper character. Just he was original, you know. I mean, I think you know he was he was kicked out of home or running around on his own at five, you know, killing rabbits to eat, and you know, and then became a you know, it was a shearer, then became a union organizer. He was just an original man. Is this sheep shearing something that has
5: passed down from generation to generation? Because no, be I think attempt. my
7: brother and I finally kicked the, kicked that one, <laughs> giving it up. I think my brother's with me on that one, and like, nope, not for me. Did you ever attempt? To- I attempted shearing, but I never attempted to be a shearer. I remember I failed miserably one year at university and I was broke and my mum and dad sent me out to the sheds with my father called the hot run. And it was called the hot run because it was the hot run. It was hot. It was summer. Forty degrees, forty-two degrees outside. You know, it was you know, it was a place we you have. You know, you have three or four nosebleeds a day because it's so hot. But I loved it. I look back at it. You know, I, I love my father and I respect my father for working so hard his entire life. But did I want to be a shearer? No. I think my father really you really know wishes now that he, he realised acting was a job. Maybe he would have gone to LA and gotten a manager as well. Jason Clark, thank you so much for for being. Thank in. you very much, man. Thank you thank very you. much.
0: Okay, that was Jason Clark, and I start this week's review section with Everest.
1: That's a good that. idea, Chris. Yeah. Um, thanks for coming to me. Yeah. Everest is, as the title implies, set on a mountain. Which one? Snowden. You <laughs> know, um, set on Everest. It's based on a not just one book, but several several books about one fateful expedition, or several fateful expeditions of one fateful storm at the top of Everest. And it's a visually spectacular, as you'd expect, experience, well worth seeing on the big screen. It's out on IMAX, I believe, and that's probably the base you should see it, because they took the cameras up to at least base camp up in the Himalayas for this one, and also shot extensively in the Dolomites. So it has a real kind of outdoor earth-elemental quality. And this whole thing of the mountain being a character sounds like cliche when we say something's a character when they're not, but it is. It is a crevassy, sort of hellish place where mm. these climbers from different groups and different walks of life and different backgrounds Sam Worthington, Jason Clark, you mentioned, place Rob Hall, Jake Gyllenhaal, Josh Brolin, John Hawkes really solid, really strong character actors um, going up into this crucible effectively and finding that nature has something pretty hellish in store for them mm. um, so visually it's stunning if you get slightly tangled up it's too many character POVs too many threads it's trying to stitch together but a, a, as a sort of natural offshoot the fact that these, these are real people and this is a real event so naturally it's doing that thing that films do sometimes of paying fealty to what actually happened and making sure that everyone gets represented it falls down a little bit on that because you just want really one through line through this storm and you get a bit tangled up
2: it's sort of like the perfect. Perfect storm is that's the similar thing isn't it it's kind of you there was this central story in the perfect storm got the fisherman on the boat but it kept jumping around all over the place yeah is that that's I think that's, I think that's there?
1: Tr- yeah, maybe when you've got everything kind of everything outside the group spiraling out of control you kind of want some form of nuclear core as a viewer, I think, mm-hmm. to, to pilot you through it. Get to meet all the other characters, sure, but sh- show us one person to follow, perhaps, or one or two at least, and this tries to do a bit too much. But Owen Allen parallels here, those sort of 70s disaster movies. It's yeah. a it's a good-looking disaster movie by Baltzar Kormakor. And Kormakor, the man who made contraband two guns. He's gone from Icelandic to English language, Hollywood filmmaking. Yeah, this is more like his Icelandic. Yes. This is not, uh, yeah, yeah, it is Don't a bit more like that. And- it's, uh, as I say, it's got real scale. Some of the character beats are a little predictable. The sort of women back home, those long phone calls. The, it's not emotional porn, but it's sort of emotional red shoe diaries. I would say it gets into that territory. <laughs> a little soft focus at times with some of that emotional stuff. But when they're up on the mountain, it's certainly got real, mm. real grunt. Um, we gave it three stars. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can see it, Let's if you on. want to see it, if yep. you're interested in it, because there aren't too many movies like this these days. Um, no, it's is, a little bit yeah. out of time. Definitely see it on the bigger screen, you can. This is not one to watch on, a, on an airplane.
0: This is interesting, isn't it? Because it's rare. We don't really have that many climbing movies, do we? No. Not
1: really. Not Hollywood ones, no. certainly. There's been some interesting ones made by I don't know, outside the Hollywood system was a good one about i think the matter the german expedition before the war but not too many like this this does have an old school 70s feel to it you know all of the same sort of beats that you'd expect from like Mm. the towering inferno the poseidon adventure you get to meet the characters unfolding um before but you know that there's something over the horizon that's going to face them so everything has certain significance and
0: deeper impact as well because you know it's based on a true story and i would probably say to people going into this try not to read anything about the expeditions going in so you won't know who lives and who dies i think that will greatly elevate the film as well
1: i think so it's too but if you do yeah. come out and you're interested the books are great yeah john krakow's into thin air in particular is a terrific read so mm-hmm. you know track mm-hmm. it down Although that wasn't actually a source for this for
2: no us, no yeah, i know but it is enough. the same
1: story story yeah but it's always interesting where you know where they get their sources from and trying to make sure everyone's represented fairly because the, there's political fallout from this you know, should this is an ongoing issue, isn't it? Should people be climbing this? What are the risks? Hmm. Sherpas being exposed to danger, etc.? So it's a gnarly one for script writers to cope with, I would say. But they've done a decent job. Not brilliant in every sense, but certainly an ex- visual experience that's worth tracking down.
2: Cool. A fair fist. Okay, so that's three stars
0: in for Everest, which we recommend you see on the biggest screen
1: possible. And next we move on to
0: Bill, in which the Horrible History slash Yonderland team tackle William Shakespeare and sent him as you've never seen him before uh, namely dressed as a giant tomato Really? Yeah. That sounds good yep. This not one's throughout the entire film okay. I have to say there, but there's a, a couple of scenes in which William Shakespeare
2: is dressed as a is, giant is, tomato Is he playing catch up? He's not playing catch up
1: I'm not a Horrible Histories aficionado I assume it's sort of like got a kids slant. is this yeah.
0: a kids movie? No it's a family film Horrible Histories if you haven't seen Horrible Histories Dan, I mean, you must be as a, as a father of two strapping young children you must have seen Horrible Histories at some point
2: no, I only allowed them to read the books. Ouch. <laughs> no, we haven't. No, seriously, it's not really become a thing in the Jolene household, I'm afraid. I do try to point my children more towards cinema than television. Horrible Histories um,
0: is fantastic. I stumbled upon it once I was watching TV with my young nephew, and this show came on. I watched it thinking, oh, I'm not expecting much from this, and within about... Five seconds, I realised that this was a show that was aimed at me and at, at adults. And if the kids got the jokes along the way, then fair enough. And actually won best sketch show at the British Comedy Awards a few years ago, above adult sketch shows. And by adult, I mean named at adults, not you know nudie stuff. But yeah, it's great. And then Yonderland is is fantastic. And this film is very funny. Bill is very funny. Uh, it it for me, it doesn't quite have the sing and the zest or the fast pace of of Yonderland which if if you haven't seen it is a fantastic sort of fantasy sitcom python meets the dark crystal it's deranged and delirious every week and there's so many great puns and so many so much phenomenal wordplay every single week and this is a a lot like that but without the fantastical elements so we start off with Matt Bainton who plays a young Bill Shakespeare who is a lute player he is just going nowhere with his life really doesn't really know what he wants to do he decides to move to London to pursue fame and fortune he decides that he'll become a playwright because why not might as well and he gets to London and falls ...under the wing of Christopher Marlowe... ...played by Jim Howick... ...and it's the... ...Horrible Histories Yonderland Troop... ...so hopefully you'll you'll know these guys... ...and falls under the wing of Christopher Marlowe... ...who begins to teach him to... ...to use the talent within... ...meanwhile... there's an evil plot afoot to kill Queen Elizabeth I played in this instance by Helen McCrory special guest star Helen McCrory by King Philip II of Spain played by Ben Ben Wilbond and along the way there's lots of saney characters and lots of wordplay and punnage and all sorts of stuff and it is often very very funny there's some some great moments there's uh, Simon Farnaby's hilarious as the Earl of Croydon who's the secondary villain of the piece Ben Wilbond's great as King Philip There's, uh, there's great roles throughout for everybody and there's some really there's some lovely exchanges that are worthy of Python because when you set it in this era even though obviously Holy Grail was set much much earlier but you, you're, when you set a comedy troupe film in a historical period then you're kind of shaking the bones of, of Python in a way you're, you're rattling up the ghosts if, if you know what I mean you're conjuring up the ghosts of Python
2: they're all still alive are except they? for Graham Chapman. But yeah. Terry Gilliam died. Apparently not. No. No, he's, he's alive. Yeah. Oh, that's good news. Yeah, got better. That's good yeah. news, yeah.
0: In case you're wondering, Terry Gilliam was pronounced dead accidentally this week by an organisation we won't name. It turns out he wasn't dead. So yeah. he's been having a lot was, of fun He was quite it. pleased about that. But there's a lot to like. These guys are really funny. So if you don't know who they are, it's Simon Farnaby, Martha Howe Douglas, Jim Howick, uh, Ben Will Bond, Matt Payton, and of course Lawrence Rickard. And they all play multiple parts. There's a great joy to be had in watching their versatility and watching how they interact as a troop and some of the wordplay is just genius. I just wish the film could have been a little bit faster paced, maybe a little bit more cinematic but it's a rollicking good time at the cinema uh, and it will make you laugh a lot. And if you if you love these guys already for Horrible Histories and beyond to that, you'll have a blast. So there we go. Uh, we gave it three stars. I think it was Kim gave it three stars. Kim gave it three stars. So that's, that's a recommendation for Bill. And last but not least, we'll move on to A Walk in the Woods, which means I get a chance to say a sentence I never thought I'd say. Robert Redford is Bill Bryson?
2: Hmm. Well, it's interesting because we've got Everest, which is about mountains. Mm-hmm. We got Bill, which is about someone called Bill, and now we've got a film about someone called Bill walking in mountains. There we go, there we and go. woods. It's the Appalachian. It's the Appalachian Trail. This is an interesting one. I don't know how familiar people are with the writings of Bill Bryson. I have to confess, I'm not. You're not. Not a huge reader of Bill Bryson. As a matter of fact, I've never read any of his stuff. So but... you haven't seen Horrible Histories. Yep.
0: And you haven't read Bill Bryson. What the
2: hell have you been doing? You can't
1: recognize Rupert White's voice, (laughs) even though you've met
2: him. I spent 10 years playing World of Warcraft, I've just come out. I've just quit, and I'm sort of like I've wandered out of the world of Warcraft, and I'm sort of blinking in the light, saying, "There's all this other stuff out here. What's this? Bill Bryson? Horrible Histories? Yeah." So yeah, it's an interesting one because obviously I'm being very aware of Bill Bryson. He's is a very famous author. Um, he's been played by Robert Redford. I mean, this is a very very pleasant film, very sort of light. So basically, Bryson's been living in the UK for most of his life. He's returned to America, and he kind of wants to rediscover the great, you know outdoors of america and while he still can he's in his 70s he decides to walk the 2100 mile appalachian trail his wife he's played by emma thompson is not keen on this and he basically ends up agreeing that he's going to take someone with him you know because otherwise be be a bit much on his own yeah he goes with his old school chum now this is not actually based on a real person this character he's kind of kept their true identity secret so he's kind of more of a fictional creation but he's a guy with issues and he's an alcoholic and he's played by nick nolte Mate, this good mate. casting. These two guys together. It's, it's not. This is not a high drama film. But you know, there's a bit of sort of slapstick kind of stuff. You know, there, there's a little bit of a bear, and there's a snowstorm, and a kind of there's some cliff edge st- stuff. Uh, but it's all kind of mainly sort of gentle laughs, kind of a thing. It's kind of definitely skewed towards an older audience. Uh, Angie Erigo actually wrote the review for Empire and she s- describes it as being for the best exotic Marigold Hotel set. The, I think the big change is that Bryson's a lot older in the film than he was in reality. The Grey so, Pound. Yeah, exactly. There's the silver dollar. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Hey. Hey. I like that. Hey, like so that. there you go. Actually, yeah, it's perfectly enjoyable. And you know, Redford seems to be carving out. You know, it's all about playing men of advanced age doing extreme things. He's embracing it, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> I love it. You
0: know, a lot of a lot of actors fight the aging process a little mm. bit. Hail Hydra. <laughs> Hell Hydra. So uh, three stars then for A Walk in the Woods. Yeah, yeah. But that's a positive three.
2: A positive three. But but of course, it's it's always, isn't it? It's always a positive three. It's not (laughs) always a positive
0: three. (laughs) No, but in this case, this week, all positive threes. Yes. So that's good. Mm. That's good. We can actually say with a straight face this week, three stars is a recommendation. (laughs) Sometimes we have our fingers crossed, not on this occasion. That is it for this week's Arrow podcast. Join us next week for more formulated related fun. We'll be joined by, I have no idea who we'll be joined by next week. Could be interesting. It's going to be good, though. It could be just Wherever the three of us staring at each other. If you're out there yeah.
1: and you've got a story to
4: tell
0: yeah. or a crime to report... We should point out if you are famous and connected to the world of film, that that gives you a leg up. Yeah, so that would yeah, it would help. It would help. But yeah, we, we do have people lined up. It's just a question of whether they... Will happen in time for next week's podcast. How
2: they're all, exciting! They're
0: all Ken Loach, remember? They're all Ken Loach, mm-hmm. which is very, very cool indeed. Uh, until then, <laughs> until then, it's goodbye from Dan. Goodbye. Uh, it's goodbye from Phil. Hearty goodbye, and it's goodbye from me. I'm off to stalk Rupert Wyatt for we can find out how
6: he
2: really speaks. I can play recordings of interviews I've done with him. You know, Chris.
6: Are you sure he doesn't speak like this, Dan? Just one last time. Just run it up the flag, Pearl. No, this is the BBC. See you next week. Bye.